Last Sunday, Jesus was in the wilderness. He was hungry, alone, far from society and companionship, and in that desolate place, the tempter showed up with one sly suggestion after another. Turn this stone to a loaf of bread. Worship me. Throw yourself down from a high place. There are three separate things that the devil invited and tried to coax Jesus into doing, but they're basically three variations on a single theme. They are all attempts at getting Jesus to depart from the path that's been set before him. He's here to proclaim and to embody the kingdom of God, to show what it looks like, to show what it demands of people. And the devil would like nothing more than to sway him from that path. So he puts other options on the table, options of comfort and power and invincibility. Come on, wouldn't it be better to be that kind of Messiah? One who isn't hungry? One who has some firepower behind him? One who doesn't bleed when he's hurt? Why insist on being vulnerable, being dependent on God, being merely human? Why not give this path a shot instead? You know, of course, that Jesus refused those other options way back in the desert. He stuck to the path that he knew was his, and the devil left. But that's not all Luke says. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. That's what it says back in chapter 4. Until an opportune time. We mostly hear those ominous words as a reference to the very end of Luke's gospel. And that certainly makes sense. The next time the devil is on stage, nearly 20 chapters later, he's in cahoots with Judas and plotting Jesus' arrest and betrayal. So that's one way to think of those words about an opportune time. But if you think of the devil not just as a character, as a supernatural being of some kind, but also as an embodiment of the sorts of temptations and trials that inevitably come in life. If you think of him that way, well, then I think he shows up much sooner than Holy Week. The tempter shows up in the anger that Jesus finds in his hometown right after he leaves the wilderness, in familiar faces who are unwilling to consider the wideness of God's mercy that he teaches about. I mean, come on. Wouldn't it be easier to preach something more popular, something everyone wanted to hear? The tempter shows up in the opposition that Jesus faces from the religious leadership, in authorities who are threatened by the power he wields and the vision of a faithful life that he shows. I mean, come on, wouldn't it be easier to water the message down a little bit, take it nice and easy and not ruffle so many feathers? The tempter shows up in the strong reactions he faces from even his own friends, in Peter taking him aside and saying, hey, you cannot keep talking about your death. That's no way for a Messiah to speak. I mean, come on. Wouldn't it be easier to inspire people with talk of success, to recruit an army, to bring in God's kingdom by force? Jesus recognizes the tempter in that last one and actually calls him by name there. Get behind me, Satan, he says to his stunned friend. The temptation to depart from the path that's before him, the path of vulnerability and generosity and self-giving love, 
for something that's easier or safer or more forceful is there again and again in Jesus's life. People and forces try to sway him from the path of trust in God and costly obedience at every turn. There are all sorts of opportune times, it turns out, including in our reading this morning. So far, we're talking about Jesus here and the specific temptations that he faced. But make no mistake, similar sorts of perils are there for those of us who are trying to follow him. Calls to leave behind the difficult path that Jesus lays out for something safer or easier are all around. We all know something about this, I think. It is hard to keep on holding to a dream of a just and peaceful world, to keep on imagining lions and lambs getting along, or weapons being turned to garden tools. Wars and crises continue. Greed and corruption persist. The wealthy and powerful continue to trample the poor. It is difficult to keep a different vision alive. Wouldn't it be easier to just lower our hopes a few notches? It is hard to keep up the work of community, to keep listening and growing alongside others. Community life is not always convenient. It takes time. It involves accepting and engaging with people very different from you. It's difficult to keep embracing the messy reality of life together. Wouldn't it be easier to just go it alone, find the few people most like you and sort of politely set aside the rest? It's hard to keep up Jesus's ways of life that are so counter to what we encounter in the society around us. Loving enemies, holding possessions lightly, giving generously. Nothing in the movies points us to this way of living. Nothing in the news suggests this will get you very far. It's difficult to keep living in these counter-cultural ways. Wouldn't it be easier to just sort of set them aside as old, outdated ideals? Following in Jesus' footsteps is not easy. We know plenty, I think, about the nudges to leave this path for something else. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away, for Herod wants to kill you. There's yet another attempt to steer Jesus from the path that he's on. Some do question the Pharisees' motives here, since, as you may have noticed, Jesus and this group don't get along particularly well throughout the Gospels. But there is nothing to suggest they're particularly trying to trap Jesus right now. For all their disagreements, maybe they really are concerned for his safety at this point. And their concern is certainly justified. The Herods were sort of a royal family in Jesus's time. They were Jewish and for several generations they ruled in the region, but their autonomy was quite limited. Palestine was part of the Roman Empire at this time, and the Herods were basically client kings, sort of local rulers that the Romans allowed to stay in place as long as they cooperated willingly with Rome. The Herods were always in that strange middle space, between the people who were around them and the big shots off in Rome. And for them, the future of their territory was always with the empire. They had no time for local troublemakers who might jeopardize that future. 
Herod Antipas, the ruler in charge in Galilee in this point, had already done away with just one such troublemaker, a guy named John, who had been baptizing people down by the Jordan River and amassing crowds of followers. To Herod, he was a threat, a rabble-rouser who might destabilize his tenuous rule. He imprisoned him and finally killed him. And there is every reason to believe he might do the same to Jesus. After all, Jesus is drawing crowds and drawing attention, and the message he is proclaiming sounds like a direct threat to the order Herod depends on. Some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last, Jesus said in the verse just before our reading begins today. There is nothing an insecure ruler would like to hear less. Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you, say the Pharisees very plausibly. Jesus is in very real danger. It would be much safer, much easier, if he were to sort of tone down his teaching at this point, or stop attracting such big crowds, or take a nice long vacation on a sunny Greek island. We could understand if Jesus were to change his path here. I'm sure that's what I'd do if I were told a loose cannon of a king had it out for me. But not Jesus. He won't budge. Go and tell that fox for me, he says to the Pharisees. Listen, I'm casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must be on my way. I love that response for lots of reasons, not the least of which is that it might be the closest example we have to Jesus sort of trash-talking someone. <laughs> In particular, I love its boldness. While Herod might be crafty like a fox lurking somewhere in the shadows, Jesus has no need to hide. Listen, he says, I've got work to do, and I am going to keep on doing it for everyone to see. I am going to keep on teaching and healing and feeding. I'm not going to hide, and I'm not going to cower in fear. Listen, I have got better things to do than worry, and I must be on my way. That is how Jesus deals with this attempt to steer him from the path. He remembers his calling, and he keeps at it, one mercy, one healing, one step at a time. And that's a pretty good model for us, you know. Those voices trying to sway off the path keep coming. And when they do, we can remember the work we have before us, all the steps that we can take today. Listen, we might say, when the voice says the world is a hopeless mess. I can't fix everything, but I am praying for refugees today. I am looking for signs of hope today. I am refusing to throw in the towel today. Listen, we might say, when the voice says community is too hard and we might as well just go it alone. I can't do it all, but I am showing up today. I am reaching out to someone else today. I'm doing one small thing for the well-being of another today. Listen, we might say, when the voice tells us Jesus' ways are too strange, too hard, I don't understand at all, but I'm ready to learn today. I'm ready to be stretched today. 
I am ready to open my heart even just a little bit today. When those voices show up, as they do and as they will, we can remember the concrete tasks that are there before us. That is often what following Jesus is all about anyway, individual small steps taken in faith. Listen, we can say to all those voices trying to knock us off the path of love, I've got work to do, and I must be on my way. There is work to be done, friends, and the good news is we are not alone. Jesus, the mother hen, is on this path with us, ready to hold out a wing and to give us shelter, ready to gather us in when danger strikes. It is a good path to be on, one step at a time. Thanks be to God. Amen.